Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. I've always just naturally been curious, like I've been a natural investigator my entire life. This is Jessica Maple. Back in 2011, she was finishing sixth grade and starting to make plans for her perfect summer. And what she really wanted to do was go to a policy debate camp. And then my mother said, hey, Jessica, I just got an email from the school and the county is going to have a junior district attorney camp. Jessica was annoyed that her mother assumed that district attorney camp would be anything like policy debate camp. She was 12. And I'm just like, Mom, I'm not into this type of stuff, so uh, I don't, I don't want to go. And she's like, well, you're going anyway. So I was a bit upset until I went that first day. For years, district attorney Paul Howard has led camps for Atlanta's middle school students. Campers don't swim or canoe or make friendship bracelets. They spend their days at police stations and observing criminal trials. They have to abide by the junior DA creed. On the first day of camp, each camper is issued a uniform. We had this giant oversized kind of blazer with a police badge. (laughs) We wore khaki pants and polos. So uh, we are all matching and... You know, we had the district attorney come in and then some of the um, attorneys that he works with, and they were saying, hey, everybody, welcome to junior district attorney camp. And at the end of this camp, you guys are going to be like district attorneys. Jessica loved it. Everything about it. Every day after her camp, her mother would pick her up and Jessica would tell her who she'd met and what she'd learned. But one day, she got in the car and her mother was upset. And then she explained to me that someone broke into her grandmother's house. And we don't know who did it. They took a lot of things. And so she was really upset because that's actually where she grew up. So she held a lot of memories there. And it just was really upsetting to her because it's just having someone invade a space that's special to you is very emotional. When Jessica's great-grandmother passed away years earlier... The family kept her house in the small town of Fitzgerald, Georgia, exactly how she'd left it. Until someone broke in and took everything. Her dining room set was gone. Her washer and dryer was gone. Her sofa was gone. Somebody took all of her, like, crystal vases. Um, They took her uh, record console. Um, The bedroom sets were gone. It was pretty empty. It just looked like somebody came in and moved out. Her washer and dryer. Washer and dryer, yes. And the oven, too. (laughs) Jessica says that a police officer told her mother that the odds of finding the person or people who did this weren't good. He sort of insinuated the family was at fault somehow. And the police officer was just like, did you guys give anybody a key? Um, Because it just looks like somebody had a key because there's, like, no forced points of entry or anything. And it just seems like that's the only thing that happened here. 
After the police left, Jessica and her mother stayed behind, giving everything another look. I actually went around to the side of the house where the garage was, and by the garage door windows, there were three little fingerprints. And I remember in junior DA camp, I was like, oh, fingerprints, this is definitely some evidence. So we can send this off to the GPI, and then we can find uh, whoever broke into my grandmother's house. (laughs) The GBI is the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Jessica's mother called the police and asked them to come back to have a look at the fingerprints. And so... um, I showed that to them, and they were just like, "Uh, that's not enough. We need at least, like, you know, seven fingerprints. (laughs) It's going to take entirely too long. And at this point, you were thinking, I don't think that I can count on the police to solve this crime. It's up to me. Oh, yeah. I, I was just like, okay, I have the tools and the knowledge on how to solve this crime. So now we're going to investigate this and figure out who did this, because... I'm pretty unhappy. My mother was upset. My dad's upset. And I just want to get to the bottom of this. Did you say to your mother at any point, don't worry, I've got this. I'm on it. Yes. (laughs) I told her, I was like, hey, mom, I'm going to figure this out. And we're going to figure out who did this because justice needs to be served. (laughs) Jessica began her investigation. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Her first step was to go around the house and take note of everything that was missing. She made a checklist. And so I was just like, okay, I remember how all of this looks. We even have photos. So it's time to essentially search for these items. Did you have a little notebook? I did. (laughs) Were you wearing your badge? No, I left the badge at home. I should have had it with me. I would have looked way more official. I would have been wearing the badge. I don't think I'd ever taken the badge off. After Jessica cataloged everything that was missing, she started thinking about the next logical step. So the town's not that big, so there are about, like, three pawn shops. And one of these pawn shops was actually on the same street as my grandmother's house. When you said to your mother, we're going to the pawn shop, what was her response? She was just like, okay, I know you have these junior DA skills, so... I'm just going to listen to you. We're just going to follow what you say, and we're just going to go. They walked into the pawn shop and started looking around. And then, lo and behold, I see my grandmother's living room set and her dining room set. And it's set up like it's like a little furniture shop. And it's just there. And I look at my mom and like, Mom, wow. And she takes out like her envelope full of her like childhood photos. And it's like her as a kid in front of this the same exact dining room set. The owner of the pawn shop came over and asked if they needed help. I said, yes, sir. In fact, I do. Jessica asked the owner of the pawn shop to tell her everything he knew about this table and chairs. He said, well, two men brought this in, and, uh, uh, you know, they just took it off their truck, and they brought it in here. And so I, I, I asked him, I said, hey, um... Do you mind giving me, like, photocopies of their IDs? (laughs) And he was like, uh, why do you need it? I said, well, this furniture was stolen from my grandmother's house. And he was like, oh, okay, I'll be right back. (laughs) The pawn shop owner gave Jessica a form that included scans of two young men's IDs. 
She and her mother drove straight to the police station. So I got out the car, and I felt pretty confident. I was just like, okay, I think I solved this. Um, So I go inside of the police station, and I find the officer, well, the investigator who is on the case. And so I pass it to him, and I say, hey, I did your job again. (laughs) And um, on this form, I have, like, the IDs of the guys who did it. So now you guys can go out and arrest them. (laughs) And then um, the police officer well, the investigator, he said, well, we can't quite do that. We we have to do our own investigation. Jessica decided that the police could continue their investigation, and she would continue hers. She had the names and addresses of the people who pawned the furniture, and she asked her mother if they could go to one of the houses just to see if anyone was around. And so we passed by the house, and my mom was just like, hey, do you see that person outside? And so I turn... And it's a young man and his mother sitting outside on their porch. And I told her, I was like, hey, Mom, I I think that's him. It it looks just like him. Jessica didn't hesitate. She jumped out of the car and marched up to the porch. So I walk up and I'm like, hello, I'm Jessica. Her mother was trailing behind. And they turn around and they look at me and they're like, oh, hello, Jessica. And I say, you look very familiar, sir. And the young man looks up at me. He's like, what? I was like, yes, you look very familiar. And so then I pull out, like, the little sheet where, like, the ideas, and I'm like, is this you? And he's like, y- y- yes, this this is me. And then the mother was just like, okay, what's going on here? And then I said, you know that house? And then I mentioned the street where my grandmother's house was. He said, yeah, I, I, I know that house. And I'm like, oh, really? Well, did you happen to take some furniture to a pawn shop? And he pretty much gave himself away at that point because, you know, he couldn't deny it because that's him on the pawn shop little form. And he's just like, yeah, I did. I was like, well, did you, you know, break into this house, you know, my grandmother's house? And he's all like, yeah, I did. And his mother was like, oh my gosh, what? Jessica and her mother drove back to the police station so Jessica could tell the investigator that not only had she found one of the suspects, but she'd also obtained a confession. The owner of the pawn shop agreed to return her grandmother's items. When Jessica went back to camp that Monday, all of the campers were asked to describe one way in which junior district attorney camp had been helpful in their real lives. When Jessica told her story, no one could believe it, And then the rest of the country found out about it, too. Here she is, being interviewed with District Attorney Paul Howard on national news. So what was the response that you got when you pointed out this clue that you found? Well, when they came, they said, wow. And that was it. (laughs) So so now you you talk to the manager, what happens? He, He, like, brings out two sheets of paper, and it had IDs on them. And I thought to myself, this is really helpful. Then he finally admitted it. You got him to crack? Yes. Confess? Yes. Right there on the street? Yes. Well, this, this is, I mean, I mean it's, it's amazing, but it's beyond amazing. I mean, how old are you? I'm 12. 12 years old. What did your mother say at the end of this all? My mother said, Jessica, you are so smart. You're so bright. You are so intelligent. Like, you are amazing for solving this and you pretty much did this all on your own like 
you're great. And I knew you going to junior DA camp. I knew that was such a great idea. And I looked at her and I said, "Mm, you're right, mom. You're right. (laughs) Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Support for Criminal comes from Factor. After a long day at work, sometimes the most convenient dinner option is ordering takeout. But if you make a habit of it, it can get pricey. Factor offers restaurant-quality, ready-to-eat meals delivered right to your doorstep. Factor's meals are both nutritious and tasty, and you can choose from more than 35 different options weekly. They have a variety of meal types to fit your needs, too, like keto, calorie-smart, vegan, and veggie, and more, with plenty of delicious add-ons also. I've tried Factor meals myself. Lately, I've enjoyed their shredded chicken taco bowl and Thai roasted vegetable green curry. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. You can also pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Head to factormeals.com slash Phoebe50 and use code Phoebe50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code Phoebe50 at factormeals.com slash Phoebe50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. What did you say to your to your mother? What did you say when you walked in the door? I was like, Mom, the craziest thing just happened. This is Griffin Steele. He's 10 now, but when he was 7, he found something very strange. Can you tell me about that day? Take me through that day. Okay, so uh, my dad had to go to Lowe's and asked me if I wanted to come with him, so I did. And then after that, uh, we decided to stop by our local Speedway. That's a gas station. Yes, it is. And uh, so we went in the store, and uh, my dad bought me a cherry-flavored Gatorade. And I finished drinking the Gatorade pretty early. So I went to throw it away on the trash can that was outside. And then I look in the trash can, and I find that there's, like, a ton of money in there. How much money did it seem like? From looking at it, I didn't have much perspective back then, but I would say that it was probably a little bit more than $10,000, maybe. $10,000? I bet that's the most money you'd ever seen in your life. Uh, besides on TV, yes. Well, I mean, I was a little bit... I was confused when he said, Hey, Dad, look look at this trash can. It's full of money. And I said, What? Griffin's dad, Shane Steele. I walked over there, and I mean, you know, I, it's just something you never see. I was trying to figure out what to do because it was a very public place. I mean, there was cars everywhere. And, um, you know, I'm standing there with this trash can full of money and <laughs> trying to figure out how to get it out of 
public view without looking like I'm doing something wrong. So um, yeah, I just decided to just to, the bag was it was a brand new trash can that didn't have anything in it except the money. So I just folded it up, tied it up, and put it in the back of my truck. But you know, the whole time it was like answering that question, like, "What would you do if you found a bunch of money on the side of the road?" <laughs> it was it was strange because like a lot of it was covered in red dye. I asked Dad why it was covered in red, and he said that there were exploded dye packs on it because whenever there was a bank robbery, they would put uh, dye packs inside the uh, mixed in with the other mixed in with uh, the normal money so that whenever they stole it there was like a trip by the door so as soon as that happened the uh, dye packs would explode and it would cover all the money in red dye uh, and it was still hot you know the money was still hot so it obviously just that dye pack just went off like maybe 15 minutes at the most before <laughs> we found it so yeah Shane and Griffin called a friend who was a police officer to ask what they should do. He told them that there had been a bank robbery just 45 minutes ago. So they called 911 and sat down on a bench to wait. Shane took a picture of Griffin with the money. It's just me with, like, I'm, I'm like, gasping, and I have, like, all the money in front of me inside the trash bag. And it's, like, it's one of the biggest mistakes of a picture I've ever put online because <laughs> your mouth is wide open yeah it's it's very cringeworthy <laughs> police in Horry County South Carolina arrested a man a few days later who had allegedly robbed the bank on the day Griffin found the money as well as another bank a few days earlier he was convicted of grand larceny two counts of entering a bank with intent to steal and second-degree burglary did you tell did you tell your friends um, yes. As a child, I was, uh, annoying. <laughs> so, I was basically going around and bragging to people, oh, look what I'd found. But you think you're, do you think that you've grown out of being annoying now at, at, at almost 11? Yeah. Okay, it was just a phase. Correct. Okay. Well, they always seem to get themselves in crazy situations. Griffin's mother, Carol Steele. She says the bank that had been robbed gave Griffin a $250 reward on one of those oversized novelty checks. A huge check, as tall as he was at the time, and it's still in his bedroom now. Oh, he's carrying it around the house. <laughs> he's carrying it. <laughs> <laughs> he has that check that's hanging on the side of his room. Griffin's older brother, Jackson, he's 13. So every time you walk into his room... You have to see the check. Yes. <laughs> Do you two get along generally? Uh, a lot better this year. Okay, he told me he used to be annoying. Well, he wasn't the one that... I, he wasn't annoying. It was just me being a jerk. Oh, really? Well, that's a yeah. nice brother. <laughs> Both of you are really generous to admit being annoying and you admit being a jerk. That's nice. Yeah. What's he like? Is he kind of a kid that is always getting into things, kind of like a detective? He is actually the family snoop. So anytime that we misplace anything in the house, we ask Griffin where it is, and he absolutely knows where it is. Like what? Your keys, your wallet? Yes. 
the remote controls. We're always asking him, where's the remote control? My tennis rackets. I hadn't played tennis in a while. And I said, Griffin, where are my tennis rackets? And he said, they're in the hallway closet at the very top of it. And I was like, you're too, what are you doing at the top of the hallway closet? (laughs) He just, he has, there's something about him. He knows. Yes, exactly. And he's a helper, just a helper personality too. Here's another story. Four years ago in a small village outside of London called Capel, the National Police Service got a call that an industrial facility had been broken into by at least two men. Rory Niblock is a tactical flight officer with the National Police Service. I work on the police helicopter. He says that a lot of the time he gets into his helicopter with very little information. So you knew that you were... you were looking for people who had maybe broken in somewhere and they might be running. That's really all you knew. That's right, yeah. Very limited descriptions, uh, not overly familiar with the area, very rural, so um, plenty of places to hide, uh, woodland, etc. So that's all we knew when uh, we were on route. It took about 10 minutes to get to the right area, but by then, there was no one anywhere in sight. So we started looking at nearby farms, uh, and it was at that stage that we saw uh, neighbouring premises, people, uh, farmers, etc., indicating, waving their hands, saying, you want to look that way, because um, uh, we, we obviously um, didn't know what they wanted to say. So you were flying over and you'd look down and, and you'd see these people standing in their backyards and their fields waving their arms, you know, saying, this way, this way. That's right, exactly that. And uh, I mean, we're flying at um, between one and 2,000 feet, so you can imagine people look fairly small on the ground, but you can make out that there were a number of people in adjacent property saying, you need to search in that direction. Uh, and that's when we commenced the search. They had seen two guys running through their yard, obviously not supposed to be there. That's right, yep. Clearly what trying to, acting furtively, and uh, they had no purpose to be it's such a rural location. They had no purpose to be there. So we were confident um, these were the people concerned. The two suspects ran together through farms and yards. And then, when they reached a wide-open field, they split up and ran in opposite directions. There was no way to keep track of both men from the air. They knew one had run into the woods, and they'd lost track of the other one. It was then that when my colleague, uh, uh, Neil Parrick, the pilot, said... What are those kids doing down there? Rory looked out of the window and saw a group of small children. He later learned they were out hunting for Easter eggs. He says kids love helicopters. He sees kids all the time and never pays very much attention. As you can imagine, any young child seeing a a colourful helicopter circling in the air, they generally wave anyway and say, look at me, look at me, I'm bouncing on the trampoline, can you see me, kind of thing. So that's why you tend to dismiss... um, what they're doing. Um, So I initially sort of uh, discounted what he was saying, um, as if to say, not now, Neil, you know, I'm I'm, I'm following the suspect. And he said, no, these kids are, these kids in the field are lying in the shape of an arrow. And then it became apparent that the the kids, uh, the group of children who are out on this Easter egg hunt, were actually trying to assist, saying the other suspect has gone this way. How many kids were there? 
There were actually 12 altogether, um, but I think only eight of them, I think the other, some were, didn't want to get muddy, but uh, eight of them, uh, I believe eight of them, actually formed the Arrow and uh, bless them in order to help uh, their public duty. They, they were prepared to sacrifice their Sunday best clothing and lay in a cloud field. The helicopter followed the Arrow and they found their suspect. Rory says both men were apprehended and charged with burglary. After they'd wrapped everything up, they landed the helicopter and Rory got out to say hello and thank you to these children who'd helped solve the case. Uh, the parents said it was the, the children's idea. They said, we should form an arrow. And uh, I think if my young child said that to me, I'd probably, uh, prior to this event, say, don't be silly. Rory says the kids offered him some of their Easter candy. Hello? Logan? Oh, yes, this is Logan. Hi, Logan. It's Phoebe. Oh, hello, Phoebe. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Um, Just trying to help out. So, Logan, let's just start with you introducing yourself. Um, so my name is Logan, and like that? Yeah, tell me your first name and your last name. All right, um, I'm Logan Holtman, and yeah. How old are you? Um, I'm 10 years old. 10 years old. Um, what do you think you want to be when you grow up? Um, when I grow up, I might want, I think I might want to be either a detective or, um, a teacher, maybe? Okay. Does it kind of go back and forth, depending on the day? Yeah. Yeah. Last fall, Logan was playing in his Roseville, California neighborhood with his friend Cashton. His friends Hope and McKenna were playing nearby. So my friends said they heard a helicopter saying, oh, somebody's missing, please help come find her. Coming down from the helicopter like it was recording, like sending down? Yeah, it- it was a big microphone. On the helicopter. Okay, so the helicopter said, someone's missing, please help find her. Did it, did it say who was missing? Um, I think they said it was a 97-year-old lady. A woman who had dementia had gone missing from a residential care facility in the area. They needed to find her before it got dark, and it was already after 4 o'clock. So we decided to start looking and trying to find her. Logan and his three friends put together a plan and got on their bikes. Uh, We had a certain area, actually. We knew she was in the neighborhood because we heard that she was from a care home somewhere. And we were like, she's probably on the trail. And we went down the trail, and whenever we saw somebody, we'd ask them if they knew anything about it or if they could also start helping. So there's a police officer we found, and he was telling us about her. And we told him we'd look out. So we were looking down the trail, and I skid my knee while we were there. And then we uh, went back home. Everybody ate dinner, and my brother helped me get uh, some Band-Aids on. And um, if you want to talk to my mom, she's making breakfast right now, but you'll be able to talk to her. It, it's okay. Oh, she's coming over right now. Okay. Hello. Hi, this is Phoebe. Hi. Here's Logan's mother, Alyssa Holtman. I didn't really know what was happening until he came inside. um, And he, at that point, 
had been, you know, scratched up. So he fell down. And so that's when he told me that he had fallen down on this trail while they were looking for this lady. Um, And I had heard the helicopters overhead, but I didn't realize that he and his friends had decided to go out and try to find her. So it was all kind of like unexpected news when he came running in the door telling me that, you know, he's trying to find this lady with his friends. Um, And so his brother that was here is a Boy Scout. So we call him the medic. And he, you know, got Logan all patched up, got him cleaned up. And then he said, mom, I'm going to go back out and we're going to find her. And I was like, okay, sweetheart. I packed up some snacks and we went looking again. What types of snacks did you pack? Uh, granola bars, fruit snacks, uh, like I think these little yogurt, gogurt things. Okay. And so you put them in a little backpack or something? Uh, yeah. They went out again, this time on foot. And we were heading towards the trail to look there again, but we just found her walking around. And what did you say when you saw her? Uh, we were all like, oh, that guy, guys, that looks like her. And it was... It was uh, the lady. Logan and his friends, Cashton, Hope, and McKenna, all went up to her and tried their best to make her feel comfortable. It was 6.30 and just starting to get dark. So Cashton, Hope called their dad. He came over, and I didn't have my phone on me right at that second, so I wasn't able to call my mom. Uh, But we got the police and everybody come by. Did you... Is this surprising for you that Logan would would help with this charge and take this on, or, or not that surprising? Well, I mean, he is such a great kid. I wasn't shocked that he decided to go out and try to help. I was just really surprised that it was he and a group of, you know, 10 and 11-year-olds that actually found her. Logan later told reporters, I like helping, except if it's chores. The woman was returned safely to her residential care center and reunited with her family. Logan and his friends had a party in a treehouse to celebrate. They ate goldfish and watched TikToks. The Roseville police told reporters that they'd been a little surprised to hear such a young voice on the phone when they got the call. So, so the police thanked you for helping them, huh? Later they sent this little uh, package or something. What was in the package? So it had like a little uh, Kit Kat bar and then a a gift card to a uh, movie grill. Studio to, movie grill. To the studio movie grill. Mm-hmm. And the that... uh, thank you letter. Did did your friends get the thank you letter too? Mm-hmm. We all got the same thing. And it was really nice. Did you all go to the movies together or no? Uh, so we haven't gone to the movie yet. Okay, you're still waiting. COVID, yeah. COVID, okay. Did you did you learn anything about about being a detective during this whole thing? Well, that you have to kind of piece things together and you're going to have to... It might take a long time because we spent like two hours trying to find her. But you didn't give up? No. Why, do you, why, did, why did you want to help find her? What were you thinking about? Because she needed help. Criminal is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Susanna Robertson is our assistant producer. 
Audiomix by Michael Raphael and Rob Byers. Special thanks to Matt Majak. Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode of Criminal. You can see them at thisiscriminal.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Criminal Show. Criminal is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, a collection of the best shows around. Shows like Radio Diaries. They have a brand new series called The Hunker Down Diaries, featuring stories of people in unexpected circumstances because of the pandemic. You'll hear from a couple who decided to quarantine together after their first date, two centenarians in lockdown together, and a married couple living six feet apart. Go listen. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Radiotopia. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.